This is Behoob Travels, the podcast. Greetings. Good afternoon, everybody. Again, I'd like to welcome all the new folks who are tuning in to the podcast. Welcome. Bienvenido. Bienvenido. Welcoming. That, that's me trying to say thank you. Or excuse me, welcome in German. I don't know. Somebody told me how I did with that one. But yeah, thanks again for the folks that have been following me. Uh, I can see the download activity and I can see there's some some pretty uh, consistent listeners out there, people who are following along with the podcast. I really appreciate that. And again, the goal of of doing this is to to make this thing grow. So uh, we can take the podcast to a new level. So if you know folks that really enjoy musing about travel, love listening to a handsome, erudite, talented, hilarious podcast host such as myself, uh, just tell them to check me out. And we are officially on just about every single podcast platform that you can find. We're there. So look for me, Be Hoop Travels Podcast. Tell them to check me out. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so. So you can get the notification as soon as I put up a new podcast. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It means the world to me that people are really responding positively to the work that I'm doing with regards to travel because it is such a huge passion of mine. It's something that I can enjoy. Uh, Pardon me, excuse me. It's something that I enjoy. Not something that I can enjoy. It's something that I enjoy tremendously. And it, it, it means a lot. Not to sort of belabor the point of saying that, but thank you very much. So today's podcast, so the last podcast I did was with my wife. We talked about Cape Town. It was an hour long podcast. We probably had another hour to go where we were just talking about our experience in Cape Town. And really what we were trying to do was have a conversation about a practical conversation for folks that haven't gone to Cape Town yet or haven't gone to South Africa. People have lots of questions about things. And part of what we were doing, we're trying to address all of those things people might wonder about what it's like to visit Cape Town. And, and again, to also give some anecdotes and stories about the things that we encountered there um, during our honeymoon. It was our honeymoon when we went to South Africa last year. But today I'm going to do a podcast. I find it on my heart to do a podcast where I'm musing exclusively about one city. I know people want to hear a lot about where I've been and what I thought and what it was like. So I'm going to abandon slightly, just deviate slightly from the traditional format where I kind of break things up, where we talk about flight deals. Really, folks, keep keep looking for those flight deals. Make sure secret flying. Make sure you're going to secret flying. Make sure you subscribe to that so you can get those notifications. Continue to use your Google flights. Continue to set notifications for Uh, prices so you know when the price is right for you to go to the places that you want to go because it is virtually impossible for you to track down these deals let let the internet or as they say let the internet do it let the internet do it there's a way for the system to do it to let you know when a price for a particular destination comes within your budget that's really an awesome thing one of the most 
awesome innovations that I could think of with regard to the travel agency. You don't really need a travel agent these days when you're trying to find the best deal to a place. I'm not I'm not crapping on travel agents because I still think that you need travel agents in certain contexts and certain situations. So shout out to the travel agents. Um, Sounds like it's a fun job, actually. I hear the perks are, are uh, outstanding. But what it looks like to be a travel agent now, as opposed to a travel agent 20, 30 years ago, is different. So anyway, today I'm going to talk about Mexico City. This is going to be the second time that I, I focus just on sort of one one conversation as it pertains to travel. Uh, I'm, I'm coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, which is probably feels like the hottest day I've ever experienced in Atlanta. It is hot AF, folks. It is disrespectfully, oppressively hot. I'm trying to figure out a way not to go outside because it's that insanely hot. It's hot. It's humid. There's doesn't seem to be a cloud in the sky. They're all kind of heat warning. So yeah, the heat is real down here. I'm not sure what it's looking like in your neck of the woods. I hear that Europe is having a particularly hot summer and a lot of them don't have air conditioning. So I can't even imagine what kind of what kind of struggle that might be because a box fan or some sort of AC machine is not enough to cool down a place. But anyway, we're going to we're going to pray for those folks that are, are dealing with that sweltering heat. We'll send up a prayer for those folks across the world that don't have AC and are having to deal with this kind of heat. So Mexico City. Well, you know, you talk to people about Mexico City while well, I was speaking to friends, letting them know that this is a place that was on my list uh, to see. I've always kind of been intrigued and, and fascinated with huge mega cities. So your Mexico cities, your Sao Paulo's, and, and I have an interest in, in Latin America given my studies, because I'm a, a Spanish, well, I'm a double major, but I have a degree in Spanish literature. So uh, the countries of, of Central, South, and, and the Iberian Peninsula have always been uh, places and cultures that are of particular interest for me. So Mexico City is humongous. We're one of the largest cities in the world. It's up there with like your Tokyos and it's up there with your Mumbai's. It's 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 hectic to say the very least. Your 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 Lagos, which I hear Lagos, Nigeria, is going to be this mega mega city in the next like fifty years. Something like eighty eight million people will be living in the Lagos metro, uh, metropolitan area, which will make it the largest, the most populated city in the world. I I can't even imagine what it would be like to live in a city of 88 million people and even the the implications of that how how is the government going to respond to such a population increase and what are they doing now to prepare for this kind of thing I haven't been to Lagos yet I hear that already traffic is is insufferable there traffic will make you want to swan dive off of a cliff I, I hear it's nothing to play with. So 
I'm just trying to wrap my head around this idea of sort of 88 million people living in Lagos. Um, hope they are doing the, the proper planning infrastructure-wise, because it sounds like it would be a really miserable place to live in. If you just can't get around, if it takes you four hours to get to work, then, you know, you're, you're qual- you, you don't have a quality of life. How about that? There's no question about quality of life. The issue is that you just don't have a quality of life. Uh, but yeah, that's crazy. So Mexico City. Now, you talk to people about Mexico City, I often got weird responses, responses that I felt like were weird because people and again, I'm, I'm going to go in a little bit on people that call themselves, quote unquote, travelers or world travelers. They, they, they showed no interest in Mexico City. And that's fine. Not every place is for everyone. Every, you don't have to like every place that I like. But what I do expect for someone that claims to have this worldview are people that claim to care about travel, that you would at least respect Mexico for what it actually is, right? So it has this culture that goes back, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years, which is evidenced by the, the ruins and the pyramids, these spectacular, these glorious things that have been around since... I mean, who knows the beginning of time, but there's this storied history that Mexico possesses, a unique culture. And I know I might overuse the word rich, but no, there's this rich culture there, this beautiful culture there that it's, it's undeniable. And I can't understand why people, particularly Americans, will, will kind of disregard or sort of discredit Mexico. And I think a lot of it has to do with the the well one the american media the sort of portrayals and the ideas that get put in our minds about mexico and we kind of relegate it to this place where you go for vacation in cancun or the beach and there's a lot more talk about the criminal things that go on and the corruption and that's a part of its story uh but Again, there's a lot more to Mexico City. So if you're telling me that you care about travel and I talk to you about going to Mexico City and you're like, man, I'm not interested or I don't really want to talk about it or there's why would you go? You know, people just think it's this huge, undifferentiated mass of nothing. No, Mexico's dope, y'all. Mexico's super dope. Mexico City, super dope. You've got Guadalajara, super dope. You've got Puebla, which is like this foodie place. This, this well-respected, world-level food destination. You have San, I believe I'm saying this right, San Miguel Allende, which is, I believe, last year in the Condé Nast uh, Travel Magazine was considered one of the, the, the best city for people to visit in the world. The number one. And it, it's it's art scene apparently is is just fantastic, but it's definitely on my list. And you have Tulum, uh, you have Merida, you have all these great cities to visit. Have all these wonderful cities to visit with with spectacular architecture, gorgeous gorgeous architecture, intricate intricate architecture. I don't know why people wouldn't check for Mexico because Mexico is dope. I haven't been to all of those places yet. I've only been to Mexico City, which, you know, is is the biggest uh, city in in the country. But 
I, I, I ride for Mexico City and I want to encourage other people to do so as well. It's not that far. It doesn't take that long to get there. It, it's not super expensive. Now, granted, there are some parts of Mexico that you don't need to be in. We don't have any business being in a lot of these places that are often kind of out. Uh, these small cities where a lot of the concentrated poverty and a lot of the, the drug activity and some of the violence goes. So that's that's real. But when we're talking about Mexican City, Mexico, Mexican City, excuse me, Mexico City, we're not dealing with a place that has a super high crime rate. In fact, the crime rate is right along the line, I believe, of, of, of the crime rate of a city like Philadelphia, which is the, the information that I received. So if you're living, if you've been to Philly or if you live in a place that that has higher crime incidents, then then you should. Think about what I'm saying. And if you have like an aversion to going to Mexico, then I think this should put it in its proper perspective. Not every place in Mexico is that bad. So at any rate, so I'm going to start uh, talking a little more about my trip to Mexico City. And, and again, that was the way that people responded. People kind of had a I'm not really interested in hearing about it or I don't want to go. There's no interest in me wanting to go because it doesn't really mean that much. Uh, It sounds basic. Uh, Everybody goes to Mexico. But the truth is, I feel like a lot of Americans do not know the real Mexico. Now, Mexico City, I where did I go? I went close to two years ago. And again, I'm always emphasizing the importance of setting these notifications with Google Flights or Expedia, uh, letting them know the amount of money your your budget is for a particular ticket. And like I told you before, the system will let you know the minute that it becomes available, it will send you one. And there's airfare, airfare watchdog. I used to use that, too. So that tells you what they do. They look out for these kind of things and they have the algorithms and the computer capability to hook us all up with affordable or or the cheapest prices that it could find so anyway i'm on my way to the barbershop it's early on uh i think like a tuesday morning i'm headed around the corner to the barbershop uh to get you know make this receding hairline look as full as possible so i'm on my way there and i get a notification i probably decided that I wanted to go to Mexico City a couple of months before, but I wasn't going to pay six, seven hundred dollars. And I think this was, yeah, it was during the summer. So the prices kind of skewed toward toward the high end during the summer. I wasn't paying six, seven hundred dollars to go to Mexico City. I felt like I could get a better deal. And two, I just didn't have that kind of money to, to spend on a ticket. So I said, look, airfare watchdog. I got 250 I'm trying to spend with you. I don't want to spend a penny more. So it sends me a notification on the way to the barbershop a couple of months later. It's like we found we found a deal for you. It was $216 round trip from Atlanta to Mexico City for the dates that I wanted. Immediately, I stop my car and I book it. I, you you got to book it. I know sometimes, you know, it's not easy to do that because you got to check in with work. <clears throat> You got to possibly make arrangements because the truth of the matter is the window of time you have isn't that great. They might sell out those tickets within an hour or within two hours. So 
I say that with a caveat. So if you're going to benefit from these, then you have to be in a position where you can book that ticket immediately. And I don't know what to tell people who aren't in that position. I'm not sure how to instruct you what to do, because, again, the time uh, range, it can be pretty narrow, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes they have multiple windows or times that you can travel on a reduced rate and it's not a thing so it all depends but I went ahead and booked it I pulled over in front of LA Fitness there was nobody in the parking lot it was just me and my car and my phone and I went ahead and booked it I booked it got my haircut went home booked a hotel so I woke up that morning with no idea that I'd be booking a trip going to Mexico going to one of my bucket list places and within a couple hours I was booked and I had a hotel and I was all set to go to Mexico and this now that I think about it this was a really interesting time in my life I was in a new loving passionate, mind-blowing relationship with my now wife. We were just, we were just started to date, uh, kind of two months into dating and the Kanye West, I'm a, I'm a Kanye West fan. I don't know if everybody is, but I, I like Kanye West I don't like a lot of his shenanigans and there's some stuff that I can't defend straight up. I can't defend everything that he does, but I, I'm, a, I'm much more of a fan of early Kanye West. The later Kanye West stuff uh, isn't uh, stuff that I particularly like. I can't really rock with some of his new stuff, but St. Pablo tour was going to happen the same week that I went to Mexico City. And the St. Pablo tour was hands down the best concert experience I've ever experienced. Uh I'm sorry, the best concert experience I ever experienced is probably a really poor choice of words, but that's what it really comes down to. I I had an amazing time at the concert, and then two days later, I get to go to Mexico City, and I'm in love, and maybe the night before I went to Mexico City, I went to my favorite restaurant in Atlanta called The Optimist. If you're in Atlanta, check out The Optimist if if you want some real great seafood in a high-end kind of place that isn't pretentious in a cool neighborhood go to the optimist really really cool take on doing seafood but yeah so that was going on that week so that was just a stellar week for me uh but anyway so i booked my trip i'm all ready to go and let's see we flew from Atlanta. I had to change. So it wasn't direct. It was on American Airlines. I typically don't fly American Airlines. I'm a Delta guy. One, I'm from Atlanta. Two, I think they're just the best. But I flew American Airlines and it was fine. You know, there's nothing wrong. I didn't have a bad experience or anything, but we flew from Atlanta to Dallas. And then I had about an hour layover in Dallas. Uh, Not love, but DFW field. DFW, sorry, not love field. But I flew from Dallas to Mexico City. So I think it took maybe I was in Mexico City probably about noon. So I'm thinking I left Atlanta probably probably about I think I had a 6 a.m. flight or 7 a.m. flight, which got me to Dallas about eight something 
Central Time. And then I think there was like a 10 o'clock, 9.45 flight from Dallas to Mexico City. So, yeah, so it didn't take long. It's, you know, it's not like you're flying to Europe or flying to uh, Asia or Africa or anything. It, it doesn't take that long. And getting through the airport in Mexico City uh, it's pretty easy. No muss, no fuss. I think I was deplaned, went through customs, and was in a cab within 45 minutes. And there were several arrivals that that were there at the same time we were all being processed. Uh, the airport is is it's it's okay. Uh, not super modern or super super glamorous looking, but it, it, it's it's an it's it's just a decent airport. And like I said, getting through customs wasn't an issue. Uh, although I do remember just just. Uh, Notably here that when I got to Mexico City, you just like you do at any other international part or if you're coming in from another country, you got to get your bags so they can be inspected. Some places have folks that actually go through your bags and inspect them and let you go your way. Uh, <coughs> they don't always inspect everyone. So like, for example, JFK thinking in of the last place that I flew into where they had people standing, waiting to check your things. JFK kind of randomly picked people um, as you were walking out the door to inspect your, your bags. <clears throat> now, in Mexico City, they have, I guess you could argue, more of a democratic way of doing it. There's, It's kind of like a game show, and there's a wall, and there's a green light, in a red light and you press the button before you can advance through the door. If it goes green, you walk through the door. If it goes red, you have to stop and then one of the customs agents will search your bags. So I didn't do something right. I don't think I got the right paper to uh, proceed because I, I went there. I pressed it. It was green. And then you had to show this this paperwork some sort of i guess visa that you get when you arrive but i gave it to them and it was the wrong one so i had to go back and then i got the right one and then when i came back it was red so that meant one of the the folks had to search my bags and you know it's always a little unnerving because you start to think about all the things that could be inside your bag uh i don't do drugs i don't have a weapon but for some reason unknown to me, I was afraid that I might have drugs or a weapon in the bag, which is complete like the height of cognitive dissonance, which makes no sense. But, you know, I cleared they didn't find anything. <laughs> but, yeah, you get you can get pretty irrational when you're in uh, in custom sometimes. But anywho, uh, I, I get through and I trying to figure out how I'm going to get into town because the airport, like most cities, the airport is outside of the city, sometimes in a suburb. And <clears throat> I didn't know this was when Uber and Lyft, they don't have Lyft. Uber was starting to become a thing globally. So I was looking for the place. I was in the airport trying to Google where I could find the rideshare area. There didn't seem to be a rideshare area at that time. However, I'd like to believe now 
with with the the rising popularity of of Uber and ride shares that they have a designated area, especially in a city with you know twenty million people or so. But at that time, I couldn't. It, it wasn't there. I couldn't find it. I speak Spanish. I asked around. I didn't have any luck. I wanted to avoid taking a taxi. I was told by friends that had been to Mexico City or some of my Mexican friends to avoid doing the taxis if you can. Uh, but if you if you had to, chances are you would be okay. Well, what I ended up doing, and which I recommend to you, if you're in a situation where you're feeling uh, you, you don't have transportation, you didn't set a car service up. I could have done that, set up a car service or find a car service. But right in the front of the elevator were these booths with these corporate run cab service. And then there's a dispatcher there that you pay. And this is the case at many of the airports around the world. So there, so you feel safer. You're not hailing a cab in front of the airport and you don't know who it is or where it's coming from. You know that you've paid for the cab already. So you don't even have to pay the person and you have a receipt. There's some sort of record of, of you entering this cab or being assigned to this cab. So there's a greater sense of security knowing that there is a dispatcher and there is this local company uh, with some credentials. So I felt safe. So that's what I did. So I took I went and, and uh, went to one of the booths, spoke with the dispatcher, paid my money. I think it was like 12 or 13 dollars for me to go from the airport to the center city. And I was staying in an area called Reforma. Reforma is the business part. It's like the downtown, lots of multinational enterprises and firms and companies. I saw Price Waterhouse, Deloitte, a lot of the, I believe I even saw Pepsi, the restaurants around my hotel, California Pizza Kitchen, P.F. Chang's, all of the, the chain restaurants that we're familiar with here in the United States were a stone's throw from my hotel in Reforma. And, and there are lots of great hotels. I think across the street for me was the Four Seasons. So, yeah, so this is, uh, I would imagine, where a lot of foreigners stay when they come to Mexico City. So the ride in from the airport wasn't too terribly long. I was expecting a lot more traffic. Thankfully, the, the, the roads were clear, surprisingly. So it wasn't an issue. But... The airport's right beside a real common working class, lower middle class area with with colorful, modest buildings, unassuming buildings, but it's a very bustling place. So there the roads are narrow. There're lots of pedestrian traffic. The roads, the roads weren't paved very well. I remember that. You would see the occasional dog walking around. Uh, There was lots of life, lots of stores, storefronts uh, on the first floor, storefronts, cafes, mom and pop electric, uh, electronic places that were sort of right there. Uh, and, they didn't, and it didn't seem to be corporate-owned. I didn't see a Starbucks. I didn't see any of the chain restaurants that I mentioned a few moments ago. So uh, this was just sort of a regular neighborhood. 
I don't know if it was unsafe. I don't know if it would be the kind of place that you would want to be roaming around at night. I don't think as a tourist, you would have any reason to go to a lot of the neighborhoods in Mexico City just because they're very, very residential. Um, not a lot there for a tourist to do or um, no real purpose, in my opinion, for uh, tourists to be wandering around. However, uh, I mean, you know, you could make some friends or you might know somebody. Um, so I'm not advocating against against going to these kind of neighborhoods, but there are lots of neighborhoods like that in Mexico City where you may want to use your better judgment and, and you know, maybe not walk around at one in the morning by yourself in. But yeah, use, use your common sense uh, when you're traveling in Mexico City or any place else. So the ride into the airport, again, wasn't long at all. We did get on the expressway and it shot us right into the city, right into Reforma. And that's where I stayed the entire time I was there. And Reforma, the area of Reforma is my hotel anyway, was on this very wide road. Now, Latin America is good for having these wide roads. Uh, one that comes to mind in Buenos Aires, when I was in Buenos Aires, uh, Nueva de Julio is the widest street in the world. And I think it might be like a mile across. Like crossing it is, I mean, you have to cross it like in intervals. It's, 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 it's real crazily wide. But this street was wide as well, not as wide as uh, Nueva de Julio, but it's wide and you have to cross. There's sort of a grassy area in the middle. There are fountains and areas that seem like unofficial parks. You didn't really see people chilling in these areas, but there's a lot of green area there. And in fact, it was the site of a protest, what I'll talk about later, uh, where, where people had gathered one day. So, and then near my hotel was a subway station and there were tons of, I mean, tons of places to eat. I, I can't emphasize uh, the amount of places that you could eat. You could even get some cool street food. There was sort of this, I guess people would call it an arcade. So we're talking very narrow streets with lots of shops and bars and clubs and just a whole, almost like a whole circus that was accessible to my hotel in Reforma. So I'm, I'm, I'm in Mexico City. I'm, I'm stoked. This is a place, as I've mentioned, that I've always wanted to come to. And the, one of the first things that I did when I got to Reforma is I headed out to the uh, museums. Now, Mexico City is known for their museums. They have some really fabulous, incredible museums. Now, I'm going to take a little break. Yeah, I got to I got to take a break, but I'm going to come back on the second part and we'll finish finish up cuz I need some water. Okay, everybody, I'm back. I had to get a quick drink of water. I have to remind myself to keep something to drink beside my desk when I'm podcasting because I can 
start running off at the mouth and get a real bad case of, of cotton mouth. So I sound like I'm chewing molasses or something. But anyway, so we're we're talking about uh, Mexico City, and I, I have just arrived in uh, what they call DFA, Distrito Federal. So I'm there. I'm, I'm stoked because I'm checking off place on my bucket list. But the first thing, the first thing that I did when I got there, because now Mexico City has the second largest concentration of museums of any city in the world. There are literally museums. This place is crawling with museums. And we're not just talking about like any old kind of museums, museums that, you know, commemorate like mud or, or, you know, origami paper or something. No, these are really uh, I'll have to say significant kind of museums that are uh, dedicated to art or science or some sort of social justice. But I first one I visited was Museo Nacional de Antropología, which was not that far. I actually walked from my hotel. I probably should have taken a Lyft or an Uber, but I, I was feeling I was feeling good. The weather was great that day. I was there in September. It was the weather in Mexico City. Now, mind you, this isn't, you know, on the beach, like a lot of the places that we know in Mexico City. This is actually in the center of the country. So it's quite mountainous. So there's, I want to say it was a couple of thousand feet above sea level. No, I think it was 7,000 feet above sea level, which was almost, that's more than a mile we can talk about how high in altitude Mexico City is later because on that walk is when I learned I learned what altitude sickness is after coming to Mexico City. I, I was huffing and puffing and I was like, man, I know I have been in the gym lately. I've been eating well. What's going on? But the walk from the hotel to the Museo Nacional and Antropología, I was breathing, like laboring. Like I sounded like <coughs> the notorious B.I.G. Uh, <laughs> when I was when I was trying to 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 walk, and I think I was talking on the phone to my brother, who remarked on what I sounded like as I was walking there. But yeah, so the air is thinner there, and if you're not accustomed to it, it it, it causes you to uh, do a lot more work when you're breathing. And you can also get sick. You can get a headache, which I experienced later on, which is I figured it out. I diagnosed myself um, by asking, by typing like headache in Mexico City, Googling that. And then that's how I was able to figure out what's going on. But anyway, the the Museo Nacional, Nacional Antropología, which is in the Miguel Hidalgo region, but it is incredible just stunning it uh, holds the most important collection of pre-hispanic art areas that are dedicated to the history of mexico like uh, the chaputepec castle there's all kind of dope photography um yeah it's 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 big so you go you go in you can there's a place for you to leave your bags and it was maybe like five or six dollars to get in 
But this this museum is considered to be one of the most important museums in Mexico. And it houses these very famous murals, the world of Maya and the map of Mesoamerica, uh, which are very respected and, and, and well-known. But the, the museum is sort of, there's a courtyard in the middle and it's sort of an area for you to rest. And then there are like five or six different buildings that house all the exhibits. It took me at least, now I like to read all of the descriptions about the work. I like to sit and kind of look at it. And there was a lot to look at. And these were things that were brought from, you know, way out on, way out in these parts of Mexico where uh, indigenous people lived from thousands of years ago. Some of them had even been uh, damaged a little bit or vandalized. So they had to save them from, or restore them from being vandalized. But I, I recommend that be one of the places that you visit, and that's the Museo Nacional, Nacional de Antropología, uh, MNA, MNA, and Miguel Hidalgo, which is not too far from Reforma, right there in the middle of the city. Uh, and I have some really awesome photos that I'll share. You might find some on my Behoop Travels. Instagram, but I'll look again, but there's just stunning, stunning works of art there. And, and for all my history heads out there, you'll have a really good time. And it's definitely the kind of place that you could go by yourself. Um, So if someone is with you and is not really feeling it, let them stay where they are and just spend the day at MNA. And it's completely worth your time. But there's Museo Museo de Frido Kahlo, the Casa Azul. I visited there too. Uh, I can get into that a little bit later. Um, that was a place. There's Museo Nacional de Arte, Museo de Palacio de Bellas Artes, and Chahutemoc, Museo Humex. I mean, I could go on and on and on um, with the museum options in Mexico City. You could do a trip just for the museums that would keep you busy for well over a week. Uh, There's the, I know a lot of people might be familiar with the Somaya Museum, which is that really modern, unique building. It kind of looks like a boot if you look at it. It's silver. And this one is a private museum, and there are two museum buildings inside of it, uh, Plaza Carso y Plaza Loreto. And I believe this is in Polanco, Uh, but the founder is Carlos Slim, and that might sound familiar. He's often between, depending on the year, either him or Bill Gates are the wealthiest people on the planet. So he's often the wealthiest guy uh, in the world and he's responsible for this museum. Uh, It's, I believe this one's free. It's free. Yes, it's free. And there's even some, some, uh, I'm trying to figure out here. Yeah, it's free every day. 
I didn't get to go, so that's why I'm, I'm actually looking on the computer to find out some information for you. Uh, but it's Museo Somaya. It's got all kind of amazing art. I'm trying to see which artist uh, have works. That, I think it's from, it's like from Dali, Rodin. Uh, I'm a big Dali fan, and, and I really meant to spend some time there. But next time, that will definitely be a next time for me for Mexico City. But Somaya Museum, um, what other art places? The Memory, uh, the Memory and Tolerance Museum, well done. Such a well done museum experience. It's, it's, it's tough because it's dealing with a topic that's very inconvenient. It's talking a lot about uh, all the ugly stuff that has happened in the world since the beginning of time. We're talking about genocides. We're talking about uh, the Holocaust. We're talking about racism. I mean, it really, and, it, and it's, it's honest. It doesn't hold back. It tells the truth. It doesn't try to sugarcoat it. It doesn't try to make it seem, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't do what often a place like this might, you might think would do was to try to make it less, less shocking so that people for some reason would have uh, more of a pleasurable experience. But this one is, is fantastic. Job well done. That's the Museum of Memory Intolerance, which is actually, I remember it's across the street from Palacio de Bellas Artes, uh, which is this very famous art museum. And let me tell you, it's near this place called Avenida Hidalgo. And I've never seen, there are so, it's so populated, densely populated in this area. I've never seen that many people in one place in my entire life. There are these wide roads with, with people from one end to another. And it's, I mean, it's, it's something to see. And the Museo Memoria y Tolerancia, the Memory and Tolerance Museum, is located next door, I believe, to the, the Mexican Supreme Court, because I remember seeing that there. And then behind it is the Chinatown. So there are, there are people of Chinese descent. There are people of Asian descent that are Mexican citizens. I know that idea blows people mind, blows the minds of many because they can't sort of they have these sort of binary ideas of of what identity is uh, when we're talking about race and nationality. But there are Chinese people that are Mexicans and that have lived there for <clears throat> a generation or so. But adjacent to this museum is Chinatown. So we I went over there and had lunch. Uh, and let me tell you, they were so happy to see a black person, I think, that everyone was smiling when they saw me and then gave me free food and just treated us really well. But the Chinatown, it's a small area. There's an area with restaurants and the time we were there was toward the evening and nighttime. Some of the places it closed, but there are stores, a lot of electronic stores right there in the area. Um, and they call it the Barrio Chino, which means the the Chinese neighborhood. But it's right there uh, behind the museum, like I was saying. But again, outstanding job. 
Applause, applause, applause. They 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 did such a amazing job with that museum. Just telling the truth about the civil rights movement, uh, the genocide that happened in Cambodia, things that were happening in Eastern Europe, um, all the stuff that was going on with um, the wall in in Germany, things that were happening in Rwanda. Just lots of information and then there's also um they they address the issue with the border between Mexico and the United States um they talk about racism racist images in the media great well job well done they did a fantastic job and it's you can purchase headphones that will interpret for you so if you don't speak Spanish or if you do speak Spanish and would rather hear it in English, which was my case, you can purchase the headphones and it gives you a walking tour of, of the museum and explain everything to you in English. But yeah, an absolutely an absolute must for you if you are in Mexico City. Um, so yeah, so that was, I think I did... Those museums, and then we we talked about the what they call the Blue House, Frida's House, which is which is a museum in part, but it's mostly about being able to walk through the space where she and her husband Diego and their pictures, and you could see her bed, and you can see letters that she wrote, and. Uh, there wasn't a lot of her art there. And then there was one part of the the house where they curated all of her clothing. You can see her prosthesis. Uh, she had a prosthetic leg that's on display. And, and the house is this gorgeous. It's a Mexican-style, Spanish-style home where there's a big courtyard with a lot of greenery in the middle. Courtyard took up most of the space and then there were buildings around it. Some of it was residential and then perhaps they did art in the other parts, but now they've turned some of those buildings into places where you can eat. I mean, it's, it's a real, real relaxing, beautiful place um, to visit. The, and that's the Museo Frito Calo, the Blue House. Now I suggest there, there was tourist central around there. There are lots of buses with tourists. Uh, we figured out you could buy these tickets that allowed you to skip the line. And it didn't really cost that much more. And that's what that's what we did. So we were able to, to get in uh, and not wait forever like some of the other people. But yeah, those were the three museums that I visited and again there's many more <laughs> many more that were worth stopping by but you're you're probably not going to have enough time to see them all <clears throat> if you're in 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 day fa uh yeah so the other let's see I'm trying to think about it's been a little little time ago so Oh, I want to talk about going to Bico. So I told myself, so Mexico City is also this haute cuisine, 
culinary destination. So people go there to eat at a lot of their world-renowned restaurants. It's, it's definitely a foodie city. So I said, hey, since I'm in town, I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to find. I'm not normally a high, super high-end. Uh, I enjoy food, but I, I find that I enjoy food on the, the lower realms of the cuisine um, uh, order, if you will. So I said I would try this one place called Biko, which at the time was like the number 40th best restaurant in the entire world. And there are three or four on the list that were from Mexico City. So I treated I, I made a reservation at Biko, which was in Polanco, which is one of the, the wealthiest, just Beverly Hills, Upper East Side kind of environment. So it's kind of a swanky area of town where a, a lot of the you know top restaurants and high-end fashion stores i think like chanel was across the street from bico so i made a reservation at bico and i have to say that you know i i enjoyed the experience and and felt like i expanded a bit of my own perspective by eating in a place like that that's this culinary thing where they're constantly innovating and treating the art, the culinary arts like a science. So I'm sort of pushing the definition and the limits of, of, of the culinary science field. Uh, so they're, they're trying to pair different kind of flavors and textures and putting foods together that you wouldn't normally think went together or making food look a certain way uh it, it's like i said it felt very scientific but it, it's 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 very fancy pants and i remember strolling into bico now they're not i didn't see i think up until that point i hadn't seen any people of african afro descendants in mexico city so it was just me which was fine I mean, if you're going to travel this world at some point in another, you're going to be a racial minority um, in one of the places that you may visit. So I, I'm OK with that. Uh, but it's, it's also something that you're aware of. So you're hyper aware of the idea that you're the only black person that you've seen the entire time that you might be in a place, which can be unnerving for some people. But um, again, if you're. If you're about seeing the world, you're going to be in that position quite often. So you need to learn to to deal with it, to find a way or tools to deal with it. So I stroll up in Bico. This is high in Mexico City. I don't know who's in there. I mean, the president could have been in there. Uh, I'm sure famous local Mexican actors and celebrity like people were there. But I didn't know who they were. But I strolled in there and everyone stops and looks at me which makes me think maybe they think I'm a celebrity everyone stops they look at me I remember I kind of smiled and kind of kind of waved I'm not sure why I waved but I got the stare down from everybody in the room and it wasn't an icy stare down it, again it was kind of a curious like who's this person because there are a lot of assumptions that people can make. There are no black people that really live in Mexico City. So they figured I come from someplace, someplace else. So they wonder, well, where is he from? Who is he? And what is he doing at Biko? So they probably did think that I might have been a person 
that was celebrity or uh, of a certain, you know, social, had a sort of social standing. I don't know. But all I do know is when I walked in, all eyes were on me. So I sit down, I place my order. And you know, I don't quite remember what I ordered. In fact, I wasn't even sure. No, none of the staff spoke English, which I thought was was interesting because this is sort of this Michelin restaurant. And I don't know, not that they needed to because I'm in their country, first of all, not that they needed to speak English for me, but I kind of thought they would be entertaining a lot of folks from around the world. And since English is the a world, the world language, the number one world language. Uh, I figured there'd be somebody there speaking English. That wasn't the case. So he's explaining to me what it is that they're offering. And I'm catching about 60% of it. And I didn't have time to hop on my phone and try to translate or interpret what he was saying. And we didn't have those apps at that time that will do the interpretation when someone speaks. So I just kind of picked what sounded interesting and I got there were several courses and I remember having this food that were like this this one thing it was there were sort of it looked like plastic balls and then there's some sort of greenery around it and the green the green it tastes very rich almost sweet and then these balls were I don't know. I thought they might be potatoes at first. I wasn't sure. So I kind of took a stab at them. When I did, the ball burst and there was this sort of liquid in there. And so I went ahead and put a couple of them in my mouth and they were warm. It was very, very warm. And then I could still feel the, the sweetness from the from the greenery that was adjacent to it. So it was just bizarre and I have no idea what I what I had and I can't even say it was that satisfying but I tried it I ate it all it tasted kind of weird and then sometimes it tasted kind of good I'm still uncertain about how I felt about that one particular course um they brought out some sort of meat like this smoked meat that I well, it was beef they brought that out that was good they brought out, uh, they did bring out a dessert, which were like these two circle, like almost kind of like cookies that had this gold uh, design on it. It looked very rich. It looked like something like a king would have. But I ate that and that was pretty good. And I had some wine. The wine was a dry wine. It was good. The wine was good. But anyway, I had my high, my high class experience, took in some of the the ambiance, which, you know, I like, I like being in new spaces and having new experiences and taking everything in. And that's what I did when I was there. But Biko's probably not a place (laughs) or places like Biko are not the kind of places that I would frequent often. And the cool thing is that it wasn't super expensive. The, the price levels for things in Mexico City are fairly reasonable. I'm sure that meal would have gone for, you know, 150 bucks in New York or L.A. or maybe even here in Atlanta. I'm not sure. But I paid $50 and 
and that was before tip and I, I left the guy a tip I don't know honestly I'm not sure if Mexico's the place where people tip but I left him a tip he got a tip that day uh but yeah so that was Biko so I go to Biko I come home and just cut to me like two hours later walking down to that arcade that I was talking about where there were the restaurants and it was always hopping down there at any seemed like at any time of the day so I went down there and I found like a some street food so I was hungry so I basically I left Biko hungry that's the thing about these high-end places you always leave hungry the portions aren't that big the 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 food isn't and I guess that's how rich people stay that thin because they don't really eat that much. So I needed I needed some some sustenance. I needed something that uh, was going to satisfy me. So I went around the corner and I got some wings. There's a place that had buffalo wings. That's where I went and I was good for the night. Now, one of my favorite places that I went to in Mexico City, and I suggest that anyone that goes to check it out too, it's called Xochimilco. That's spelled X-O-C-I-M-I-L-C-O, Xochimilco. So that it sounds like a S, but Xochimilco is a part of Mexico City way out. It took me forever to get there. I Ubered out there. And let me tell you, folks, the cost of Uber in Mexico City is like almost like it's I almost felt like I was getting away with something because it was so cheap. It, it may have cost me. I was in the, the Uber for over an hour and a half traffic. I got a real taste of Mexico City style traffic, but I went out far outside the city, saw lots of mountains and 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 yeah, it was away from the city. It took about an hour and a half to get there. Xochimilco is essentially a, a town, but there there's a, a a waterway that runs through it. And this goes back to, I believe, the Aztecs. And this is was a, a way that people would transport. So they would use the, the river with boats to sort of get to where they needed to go. So... Today, you can go to Xochimilco. They have tons of these colorful boats, these ornate colorful boats that people party on. So you can rent a boat. They'll sell you some liquor. Some people have food on it. I saw some people that had a mariachi band. The the boats have cool names. There was one boat called the Beyonce. Can't remember the name of my boat, but there are these colorful boats that, that sort of litter this thoroughfare. And people live on this thoroughfare. They don't have access to roads. So they use boats to to get from from here and there to places that they want to go. So we for an hour, we rented a boat. We had a guy drive us uh, on the boat. I got to drive the boat with this huge paddle. The water wasn't deep because I could put the stick to the to the bottom. I could feel the, the floor of the river. So I'd say maybe it was maybe 10, 12 feet deep. It wasn't that deep at all. But yeah, you stroll around and we had interactions with with other people uh, as 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 I passed by 
people would wave. And I think they were very excited to see black people. Again, they would wave and dance or sing or do something to let to let us know that they were happy, happy to see us. Uh, so anyway, that's Xochimilco. Xochimilco is adjacent to, I believe, the town Xochimilco, which is a working class area. It's it's not a very posh place. Um, people might feel a little bit intimidated because there's something about it that could feel a little bit sketchy. Could, you could feel a little bit out of your element. And again, I was concerned when I was there because we got there toward the end of the day and I wasn't sure <laughs> if we'd be able to find an Uber to get back because the Uber dropped us off maybe a mile away from the actual place where you get the boat. And when you get to the boat there, it must have been a slow day because there were probably about 30 or four of the different drivers just sort of waiting to take somebody out. So when they saw us, they immediately uh, ascended onto the area we were in and, and started trying to negotiate with us and kind of grabbing you to pull to pull you toward their boat so you would choose them. So. They were a bit aggressive, which might be a bit off-putting, but, you know, if you're in that position, just just play it cool and understand that they're trying to get you to choose them. So we did choose a guy. He took us out there. We had a great time. I think it, it even rained a little bit, but there were the, the boats are covered, so you don't have to worry about getting wet. But it's it's a relaxing ride and it's 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 very unique. Uh, I don't think I've ever had that kind of experience and the, the the boats again are very colorful they have all these cool ornate designs and some people might say the boats are a little bit tacky but it, it, it's fun it's all in good fun and that's called Xochimilco it is a hike from the city there's probably going to be a lot of traffic when you go out there so it does take time so I suggest that you do that at the beginning of the day I wouldn't wait too long because again I was worried that we would have trouble finding an uber at night, I don't know how Uber worked in that area because we had to walk almost a mile to get to the part of Xochimilco where the road was uh, and where someone could pick you up. But we use Uber. Uber worked fantastically well uh, during our time there. It was very cheap. It was efficient. There were no issues with getting around. So we were very, very grateful that Uber was there. Not sure that I would have been able to see and experience Mexico City in the way that I did if we didn't have, if there wasn't the rideshare system, um, because it, it, it's a huge place and there are lots of nooks and crannies. So, and there weren't cabs everywhere, that's for sure. So that's Xochimilco. Go visit Xochimilco. What else? There's there's so much. Like I've I've been just I feel like I've been rambling, and and I probably sound excited because because uh, I, I do really enjoy Mexico City. So lucha libre. Everybody knows lucha libre, right? That's that's the wrestling. That's the Mexican wrestling that that we see on TV all the time. That's silly and dramatic, and they wear the masks, and you know it's it's purely for entertainment. I don't think we're there to watch their athletic prowess. I don't think that's the thing that you go. You go to laugh. It's a little bit silly. It's a little bit campy. So we went to the uh, Arena Mexico, which was the one people told me to go to. There are two or three other places that you go to, but everyone said go to the Lucha Libre at, uh, at Arena Mexico, which is also kind of in the city center 
took an Uber there. Now, getting there is kind of a cluster. There's traffic. The day, it was at night when I was there. It was raining. It was hard to see. Yeah, it, it, I'm not even going to lie. It was a bit intimidating. Just the logistics of, of navigating the space around the arena Mexico. And there were sort of tons of people waiting outside. And then you're like, are they waiting in line? What are they doing? Why are they just standing? So there are people that are just sort of standing in front of it. They weren't buying tickets. They weren't going in. Uh, they were just sort of chilling. They weren't selling anything. I'm not sure what was what their <coughs> purpose was. And then there was a line to get in. They have a place where they take your bags. You can't take, uh, I don't think you can take, you can take your cell phone and you can take pictures, but I don't think you can take like a camera. I think that's what they told us. But you go in, it's, it's a sports venue and there's places where you can buy snacks and their restrooms and you can buy the masks that you see. They sell those everywhere. Uh, I did get some of the popcorn. So they like to put hot sauce on the popcorn. They like to put all this kind of spicy stuff on the popcorn. So you can buy popcorn and you can, like I said, buy a whole host of other snacks. So we did see uh, a Lucha Libre match. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. You, you're you there to be entertained, uh, not, you know, admire their athletic prowess as I stated before. So that's going to be at the Arena Mexico. But again, prepare yourself for a bit of an intimidating experience, especially if you don't speak English. Um, I had to use Spanish a lot to navigate that particular space because there there wasn't anything in English and it didn't seem like anybody around there. I just got the feeling that I needed to push my kick into my Spanish. And that's what I did. But yeah, prepare yourself if you go. Now, I'm not discouraging you because I think you should go. And maybe they have, if you would feel more comfortable, they may have some sort of travel group with a guide that can take people. Um, I'm sure that that happens all the time. Go to Viator or Groupon. Well, not Groupon. I don't think they do Groupon there. But go to Viator.com. They have all kind of excursions. And I'm sure they could set you up with a Lucha Libre experience. Very, very, very dope. Uh, okay, wow, I've talked about so many different things. So there's Teotihuacan. I hope I said that correct. Those are the pyramids. There's some ruins outside of, and these are some of the most significant ruins in um, Mexico. But these are pyramids and ruins of an old ancient city that are outside of Mexico. Now, we, the way we got there, the way I got there, <clears throat> excuse me, was... I had an Uber driver that picked me up from the Museo, Museo, ooh, did I say Museo like that? My Spanish teacher would be very, very disappointed, from Museo de Tolerancia. He picked us up there. We had a great conversation. Very friendly guy, upbeat guy. I told him that I wanted to go out to the pyramids, and he said he would take us, and he offered us uh, a price. And we accepted that price. So the next day he came to the hotel and picked us up and took us out to, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, the pyramids. So like I said, these are some of the most significant pyramids in the entire country. I remember reading that these pyramids, the city that were around the pyramids um, was a real bustling, thriving one. And it had a huge population, maybe the second 
largest population in the world at that time. So we're talking thousands and thousands of years ago. And I believe this even like predated the the Aztecs and the Incas. But there's one huge pyramid. There's like a street in the middle. And there is there are a few other pyramids, Um, but it's all really sort of otherworldly to see. And you can climb up the pyramids if you want. Took everything out of me. These must have been some very small people because the, the steps are very small. So it was very, they were very narrow steps that were at a very steep grade. So coming up and coming down was particularly challenging. It looked a lot, it was a lot more challenging than it looked. So I did go up one and, you know, I was sweating buckets by the time I got up there. And then there's a pyramid that's probably like two times uh, taller than the one that I did, but the line for that was massive. You can climb up, you can climb up that one if you want to. And the day that I was there was some sort of traditional celebration where people got dressed in like native indigenous gear and they were chanting and someone was drumming and you know it it, if you if you were just rolling up on it you'd be very confused (laughs) because you would you would sort of wonder wait a minute I thought all the people that were a part of that community have died off but no these were people who were paying homage to all of that and they were there that day so it's pretty awesome and I actually have footage of them doing their dances the tribal dances and all the movements and having all the the traditional clothing with plumage and it was really beautiful very very decorative and ornate but it was it was definitely a real treat to see all of that and these pyramids are again about 30 minutes outside of uh, Mexico City and on the way there we had lunch we went to lunch at this neighborhood spot I tried pulque which is fermented a fermented plant uh, pulque P-U-L-C-E and it's frothy I had a strawberry version and it doesn't taste like much it's kind of this frothy uh, and there's a hint of strawberry you don't taste alcohol but I tell you what five minutes you feel it so it packs a serious alcoholic punch so it's the kind of thing where you would down a bunch of them thinking that you know hey I don't feel anything and then you know cut to 20 minutes later and you're on the floor in a fetal position (laughs) but yeah it was it was some pretty powerful stuff he my friend warned me to you know take it easy don't don't drink too much but it's called pulque and we had that at a restaurant kind of in the neighborhood that he took me by so it's Teotihuacan Teotihuacan I think that's please forgive me I know that I'm butchering it but uh, yeah include that on your itinerary there are viator packages there are folks that will take you out there in groups if you want to go visit we saw lots of different groups there it's the kind of thing that will take all day and you can just explore great instagram pick opportunities if that's your thing or if that's why you were going in the first place then that's the place that you need to go while you're in mexico city because you're guaranteed to get some pretty awesome images but that was one of my favorite places when i was there 
Uh, man, I could just go on and on about all the things that I did when I was there. Uh, restaurant, another restaurant, Corazon de Maguey, the heart of Maguey. That's a restaurant where I had some really stellar top shelf if you will, kind of guacamole. And what they do is they put dead grasshoppers uh, on top of it. So I tried it just, of course, you know, you had to say that you tried it and it was crunchy as one would expect. Uh, It just gave it more of a crunchy texture, but it didn't really repulse me, but they are these little grasshoppers and they're dead and they kind of look like you know, the way grasshoppers do when you need fish bait. But that's that's how they do it at Corazon de la Gay. Uh, it's in an adorable colonial kind of neighborhood with uh, brick streets. I did see a wing stop. So I told myself if Corazon de la Gay didn't work out, I could just walk over to a wing stop and get me some American style wings. So I had that backup. Uh, they had some really good street food over there. I got some churros. These were homemade churros. These were, again, you know, put any churro I've ever had to shame. And I'm talking. I'm talking to you, Costco. Uh, Costco has those whack churros that they sell, but I buy them anyway. <laughs> but anyway, uh, that was a restaurant that I suggest you go to if you're going to be in Mexico City. And again, you can take Uber to get there. It's not that uh, far out and didn't cost that much for us to get there. So lastly, the other cool experience that I had in Mexico City is I have a classmate from high school who is this big time entertainment executive um, who works at uh, Televisa Angel, which is sort of the NBC of Mexico. It's a major TV station. And she's a, she's also a producer, so she produces shows. So I reached out to her, and she invited me to come out to the set of one of her shows and attend a taping. And it was a sort of a late night, sort of a Seth Meyers kind of situation where uh, people come in and celebs come in and they talk about, you know, the latest movie or whatever it is that they're doing. So I sat in on, you may know Paulina Rubio. She's a Mexican, I believe she's from Spain, but she lives in Mexico, but she's a pop star. She's been in the game for a long time. I knew who she was. So he interviewed her uh, and this, his name was Araf de la Torre. He was the host and he was pretty funny. And it was cool because I got to talk to my friend who is really putting the show together. So she had a lot of opinions about the way that the show went. But I thought it was really cool for me to have access to such a thing. Um, And it's always and I tell people it's always really good to try to keep in touch with people. You never know who you know and what they're doing. And, you know, it's it just doesn't pay to make an effort to say hi to people sometimes. So I'm glad I was able to connect with her and. I'm very thankful that she allowed me access to such a space that not a lot of people get to do. And it was a very unique thing that I was able to experience. But his show is it's not on the air anymore, but his name is Araf de la Torre. He is a a very well-known, popular Mexican celebrity. So that was one of the other experiences that I had that made Mexico so Mexico City so dope for me. I'm going to go ahead and end it. I've been rambling. 
I felt like there's been so much to say about how dynamic and fascinating and intriguing Mexico City is. And if all of this sounds good to you, then I really implore you to go ahead and do it for yourself. Book a trip to Mexico City. Book a trip to Mexico City. Do what I did. Find you a good deal. They have great Airbnbs. They have a great hotel inventory. Prices for a decent hotel or a place to say shouldn't be too astronomical. Uber, it's everywhere. It's inexpensive. It's safe. And generally speaking, Mexico City is a safe place. Um, I never felt unsafe. I did go out and party one night in the bar district to the wee hours of the morning. Never felt like safety was a real thing. Uh, But of course, it is a major world city. So you've always got to watch your back. But by and large, not an unreasonably dangerous place. Like I told you before, there's a museum scene that's like no other world-class city. To me, Mexico City is the epitome of a world-class city. And when we talk about world-class cities, we need to make sure that we include Mexico City because it is it is fascinating. But thanks for tuning in with me. I had a lot to say. I feel like I'm running out of breath. I don't know if you ever had all these ideas in your head and you're just trying to get them out. But thanks for tuning in to B-Pod, B-Hoop, B-Pod, B-Hoop Travels. Take care. Bye.